Now hear the word of the Lord from Revelation 20, verse 7 through 21, verse 5a. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Justin, and I am the lead pastor here at the church, and it's my joy and pleasure to bring the word of God to you this morning. This is the second Sunday of Advent, and as I explained last week, Advent is far more than just an extended Christmas season. Advent is different than just celebrating Christmas. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which is the Latin translation of the Greek word perusia, which is usually translated arrival or coming. So in Advent, we do two things. We look backwards at the first coming of Christ, and we look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
The first two weeks of Advent are set aside to look forward. And then as we get closer and closer to Christmas, we look backwards at Christ's first coming. Well, this year we are doing that through the rubric of historic Christian hymns. Each week we are studying one hymn and we're going a little bit more in detail on that hymn, helping us to come to understand what that hymn's all about, while also investigating the biblical and theological underpinnings of each hymn. Today we're going to study one of my favorite hymns. We sang it this morning and it's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Joel also did a deep dive. Basically, Joel took all my information this morning on his podcast and already released it, all right? So he's already preached my sermon. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to get up here and just sing for you guys. I'm going to sing the hymn. We're going to call it. Just joking. That's not going to happen. But if you didn't listen to that podcast, go listen to it. It's on the Life in the Liturgy podcast. It was a great um, Basically, he exegeted the whole hymn, and so it was a great uh, podcast. You need to listen to that. This morning, I'm going to do something a little different. Um, Part of us longing for the second coming is taking a good, long, hard look about where we sit right now in history, about our own life, about the darkness that's all around us. And so we're going to do some difficult work this morning, and we're actually going to point at the darkness, and we're going to look at the darkness, and it's going to make some of us probably a little uncomfortable. Um, I'm just going to have three points this morning. It's going to be pretty simple. I'm going to give it away right, right, right away. Just so you know, as we talk about darkness, there is some light coming at the end, okay? Just to let everybody know, here's my three points. One, something wicked this way comes. Two, we must rise and meet it with joyful courage and God's promises, And three, our victory is assured because our God is with us. That's where we're headed this morning. Now I want us to pray because I need all the help God can give me this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before your throne of grace this morning and we ask boldly for that which you tell us to ask for and that is more grace. God, I need your spirit. I am just a man. I am full of all kinds of my own opinions and my own ideas And I need you to speak through me this morning. I need you to hide me behind your cross, hide me behind your son. I want your son to speak through me. We know that as your word is declared that your sheep hear your voice and they respond to you. And so I pray that all the sheep of your fold would hear your voice today, no matter where they're sitting right now, whether they're sitting in great darkness or they're sitting in the midst of great light. I pray that they would hear your word this morning and they would follow you. Uh, Jesus, we want to praise you for the work that you've been doing. We first off want to thank you for the work that you've been doing in Isla. We thank you for the positive results that she got back from her PET scan this week, that the cancer, there was no, no cancer in her body. That is an evidence of absolute grace that you, that you are the God that heals, that you are the God that And God, now we know that there's some difficult choices um, coming ahead with some stem cell treatment and different things that are that big decisions have to be made by the family. And so I pray that you would give them wisdom to make those decisions, continue to heal her body, continue to give doctors wisdom, uh, wisdom as well. Lord, we also want to pray for Tona as she's fighting sickness. Lord God, I want to pray for Josh Budakoffer as Josh is in the hospital and, and, is, and is fighting really a debilitating disease right now. And we ask that again, that you the God of all gods, the God that speaks life into death, that you would speak into Josh this morning and you would bring healing to his body. Father, we 
We just thank you that we get to serve a good and gracious God who gives us things that we don't deserve because we really deserve nothing but death and hell in the grave because of our many sins. But you give us so much more than that. So now I ask that you would think through my mind, you would speak to my vocal cords, that it would be all of you and none of me this morning. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, sometimes I don't have to look for sermon illustrations. They just look for me. It's the curse of being a preacher. One of the reasons I preach is to get the in my head to stop, okay? And, and hopefully those are good voices. But this week, I, was, I, I had this line in my head, this line in my head, something wicked this way comes. Because we're looking at darkness and we're being aware, trying to be made aware of the darkness. And this line is a line from Shakespeare's play Macbeth. Now, don't think I'm up at Shakespeare, okay? I've never actually read it. I don't know it because of Going in and out? Yeah, I don't even need it, but we need it for the podcast, so. All right, well, we'll see if it, if it keeps happening. I don't know what's going on. Sorry, guys. It's on, everything looks, batteries looks fine. So. I know it. I know that line, something this, this, something wicked this way comes from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> I'm a lowbrow kind of guy, okay. It is a ominous lyric meant to make us aware that something evil is on its way. Now, we don't use words like wicked or evil very much anymore. Instead, we use words like wrong. That's wrong. Or or shouldn't. You, You shouldn't do that. Well, that was wrong to do. But these words are insufficient for the world in which we live. Is it, was it just wrong for someone to kidnap and murder a child like Breezy Taylor in our own city? Was that just wrong? Was it just wrong what the Nazis did to the Jews in the Holocaust in World War II? Was that just wrong? We live in a society right now where we can't say that is evil, that is wicked. This past week, we had several of our Ivy League presidents before Congress testifying about the anti-Semitism that's going on in college's campus, and they couldn't actually condemn it. I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to share an audio clip from a little bit of that interview, and then they're going to interview some... They're going to interview some people that watched videos of what actually happened on October 7th. I want you to hear what they say about it. Go ahead, brother. I'm going to sit Since down. Since Israel began its counteroffensive against Hamas, there's been a rise in anti-Israel protests and even attacks against Jews in cities across the U.S., especially on college campuses. Daily Wire reporter Cassie Dillon witnessed one such protest that turned violent at Boston's Northeastern University, and she's here to talk about that as well as some other incidents. Hi, Cassie. So what types of trends have we been seeing with these demonstrations? Well, anti-Israel demonstrations have been taking place at congressional hearings, on college campuses, and even at the Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting in New York City. In one of the latest attacks on Sunday night, a mob gathered around Goldie, a Jewish-owned falafel chain in Philadelphia. Take a listen. Pennsylvania 
Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro condemned the group, claiming it happened because Goldie's is owned by Mike Solomonov, who was born in Israel but raised in Pittsburgh. What we saw last night was not peaceful protest. The purposeful gathering of a mob outside of a restaurant simply because it is owned by a Jewish person? Well, that's anti-Semitism, plain and simple. In Williamsburg, Virginia, a Hanukkah menorah lighting celebration had to be canceled because the organizer of the Love Light Placemaking Festival claimed a Hanukkah celebration would imply support for the ongoing conflict in the Middle East. Mm. The festival offered to reinstate the event only if it was conducted under a banner calling for a ceasefire. Now, we've all seen the college campus violence, and that was even the focus of a congressional hearing this week. What happened at Northeastern University? So at the campus center, as Jewish students were trying to attend a Shabbat dinner on Friday, they were confronted by an anti-Israel protest that had been going on all day, where demonstrators put up a sign calling to, quote, globalize the Intifada. The Intifada, by the way, meaning a violent uprising against Jews. I spoke with many Jewish students who said they feel afraid on campus as these types of protests continue to unfold. I'm told the event was not sanctioned by the school, but that it went on for hours without the administration putting it to an end. Mm. Now, the Israeli government is showing journalists a video that compiles some of the atrocities from October 7th. You watched that video with some Arab activists. What was their reaction? Well, on Friday, I watched the 47-minute video compilation of Hamas atrocities. In the room with me was a group of Arabs from the Middle East who are peace activists and told me immediately afterward how it made them feel. Fatima Al-Harbi from Bahrain broke down into tears. Here's her describing what she saw. I was shocked. I couldn't breathe most of the video that we watched. They were so joyful and cheering over dead bodies and they've been parading bodies without clothes. That's not the Islam that I knew my whole life. I think those scenes will always stick in my mind and I think that will help me always that to advocate for peace that no children no woman, no father deserve to, to see such scenes, no matter what their religion or nationality. Rowan Osman, who is Syrian and Lebanese, told me it was worse than the ISIS videos. The glee we've witnessed in the background, cheering the death, the torture, the rape. The hardest bit for me to watch was the boys with their father. The moment the boys realized that their father has been killed, and the way the terrorists react to that. Watching a small boy wishing he'd, he'd died, I think his, his childhood ended that moment. As a mother, I cannot carry on living as if something hasn't happened. Again, I would ask, is the mass rape mutilation, kidnapping, and murder of Israeli citizens just wrong? Who gets determined, determine whether it was right or whether it was wrong? Obviously, Hamas believes that these things are actually justified, and they celebrate these acts. They rejoice and sing in the streets over the rape and murder of civilians. They teach their children from birth that killing Jews is actually a good thing. See, all of these acts, we should know somewhere down deep inside of us, all of these acts that we just mentioned are more than just wrong. They're evil. They're wicked. Essayist 
Lance Morrow writes, a crucial difference between wrong and evil is that people are implicitly in charge of the universe in which rights and wrongs are discussed. We determine as human beings what is right and what is wrong. But evil implies a different universe controlled by extra human forces. Wrong is a human offense that suggests that reparation is possible. Wrong is not mysterious, but evil suggests a mysterious force that may be in business for itself and may exploit human agency as a part of a larger cosmic conflict between good and evil, God and Satan. Here's my concern. Actually, I want to wake us up to this a little bit more. Again, these things just come to me. I got one more video or one more, one more picture to show. Would you put that picture up there? This is our state capital right now. And that is an altar to Satan. That's in our state capital right now. Why is it there? Because the church of Satan appealed under religious exemptions to put it there. And our congressmen cannot do anything about it because they can't call something evil. They only have words like right, wrong, legal, not legal. That's our state capital right now. Here's my concern. Many of us have been raised in a culture that doesn't believe in evil. We've been told all of our lives through our cartoons and our music and our movies and public education and sometimes even our parents that people are basically good. We've been told that this world is all there is, that there is no spiritual world, that all that exists is matter, and therefore many of us struggle to understand the presence of actual evil in our world. The Bible, however, shows us a different view of reality. God tells Cain in Genesis 4, after he was envious of his brother, that, quote, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, look, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Sin here is depicted as an evil, animate creature, like a lion ready to pounce on its prey unless Cain fights it. The apostle Peter writes in the first book that bears his name, quote, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. See that same image from Cain? Resist him, it says. Resist the devil. We have an adversary. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering is required of your brothers throughout the world. In other words, we live in a contested territory. We live in a world that is a battleground between God and Satan, and it's our job to resist and to fight. Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not in temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Evil is everywhere in the Bible. This should cause us to ask the question, what is evil and where does it come from? Now listen, I'm gonna tell you right away, we're gonna do some 
hard work here. And this is some big kind of philosophical and theological concepts. And I might not answer the question adequately because it is a very difficult question to answer. The simplest definition that I've ever heard, I don't find it quite adequate, but it's the simplest definition I've heard of evil is the absence of good. It is privatio boni in Latin. God did not create evil. Listen, God is good all the way down and cannot do or create evil. But he can create creatures with the ability to choose to turn to him or from him. And by turning away from him, the good, they become evil. The Bible personifies evil in the person of Satan or the devil, who is actively trying to steal, kill, and destroy all of God's good creation. Now, J.R.R. Tolkien did a great job in The Lord of the Rings as depicting evil as more than just an absence of good, but also as an animate energy, an active agency that has the power to corrupt even the best of men if they give themselves over to him. Now, this is one of the hardest aspects to understand when it comes to evil. Evil has broken into God's good creation, but it possesses no existence of its own, but is rather a negation, a corruption of being. As darkness is the absence of light, darkness doesn't have a substance of itself, and death is the absence of life, so evil is the absence of good, the absence of God. The Bible tells us that something wicked this way comes, and whatever it is, it is motivated and energized by Satan. That we live in a world that is contested battleground. It was created good by God and has been corrupted by Satan. Jesus has come to give us life and life more abundantly. And Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. This is the spirit of the Advent season. We're meant to be aware of this battle that's going on between God and Satan. Why else would our hymn this morning be full of words like ransom? That means buy out of captivity, buy out of slavery. Ransom, mourning, lonely, tyranny, grave, gloomy clouds of night, death's dark shadows, and misery. This is the reality of the world that we live in. Things are not as they should be because evil is real and is at war with God. Now, I know that some of us are intimately aware of this fact. Those of you who have been abused, who have been in combat, who have been on the front lines and looked wickedness in the face, you know. But many of us, haven't. We haven't had those experiences. And I fear that we are like Theoden in the Lord of the Rings. Theoden was a steward. He was, a, let's just call him a king. He was a king and he was in charge of keeping the darkness, keeping the wickedness outside of his kingdom. But he allowed this man named Wormtongue, 
hint, hint, a man named Wormtongue to be one of his advisors and whispered lies into his mind that dulled his mind and blinded his eyes to the growing evil that was just outside his gates. Evil out there was coalescing and building strength and preparing for an attack, but he had an advisor inside the gate saying, it's not that bad, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, it's not that bad. It wasn't until, and one of my favorite scenes in the movie, it wasn't, or the book, it wasn't until Gandalf basically cast the devil out of him. He drew wickedness from him that he was able to see clearly. And by that time, it was almost too late. They had to flee. They had to go back to Helm's Deep. So the first thing I want us to learn from this hymn is that something wicked this way comes. We live in a world that has active evil present in it. The real world is full of real evil. The next thing I want us to learn is that we must rise up, look it in the face, call it what it is, and ride out and meet it with joyful courage in God's promises to us. We see this in the repeat, repeated refrain in our hymn, rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. That is one of the ways we do battle. We are happy, joyful, joyful. Jo I can't speak this morning. Worshippers of God. Because evil has an expiration date. Since I'm, a, since I'm on the Lord of the Ring kick, I might as well keep it going. Since evil got this jump on Theoden, he wasn't prepared, he wasn't driving it out when he saw orcs running around his kingdom. It gained, it built up speed. Since he, he didn't stop it and nip it in the bud right away, Helm's Deep, his retreat to Helm's Deep couldn't save him. By that time, he was far outnumbered and the orcs had broke through his defenses so what did they do? They retreated back to the keep. That's the inner part of the castle that they thought, well, we'll be safe here. If, if, all, if all hell breaks loose out here, we'll get back to the keep and we'll be safe. We'll lock the doors and we'll, hold, we'll, we'll withhold them. But the orcs were breaking through the doors and he knew everyone was about to be slaughtered. It is there in this hopeless situation with evil right outside his doors that Theoden says this, so much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? If you've read the book or you've seen the film, I hope you remember this emotional moment in the two towers. Theoden is looking evil in the face, an evil that he let build up steam in his own kingdom. And he, in this moment, he is losing hope. He said, man, I should have, I'm thinking I should have confronted it way back then, but I didn't. And now they're breaking in the keep and we're all about to be slaughtered. Listen, it's easy for us to do the same thing. What can we do against such reckless LGBTQ plus propaganda targeting our children? This week, my wife takes our kids to the Davenport Public Library. And in a prominent display, as soon as you walk in for preschoolers, there's a little cute book, Appetizing for Children. And I'm gonna hit play on it. She recorded a little video for me. And it's, it's called... Look at it here. My own way, my own way. 
And the book says, woman, man, just be as kind as you can. Boy or girl, doesn't cover everyone. You might be both. You might be none. Your truth isn't hidden underneath your clothes. Your truth is something only you can know. You are not only a boy or a girl. Inside of you is a whole wide world. I was speaking on this two years ago and I was set and I was told none of this is happening. None of this is happening. You're over-exaggerating everything. Now, I don't care if the book's in the library, but it should be in the library under propaganda. It should be under, in the library under evil and wicked ideas that will ruin children. What can we do in the, fa in the face of such reckless hate? What can we do against the reckless murder of the unborn in our country? What can we do against wars and rumors of wars that are going around the, the globe? See, it's very easy for us to get overwhelmed at the presence of evil in our world and become hopeless. But our hymn says, rejoice, rejoice. See, scripture tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. What, we are, what are we to do in the face of evil? We are to sing and rejoice in God and we are to challenge and resist evil. In the midst of Theoden's hopeless situation, he says, what can men do against such reckless hate? And Aragorn, the rightful king, says, ride out with me. Ride, he says, ride out with me. Ride out and meet them. I get chills every time I read or I hear that. The situation was absolutely hopeless. They were far outnumbered. They were, they were fighting an, an enemy that wasn't just men. It was motivated by a real evil force that was beyond their power to defeat. But Aragorn says, we're not going out hiding in the keep. Ride out and meet this evil. They were to go down fighting for the good, pushing back the darkness that was at their doors. So they mounted up and charged the enemy. Listen, when evil goes unchallenged, it only grows. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Now, little did Theoden and Aragorn know that Gandalf the White was on the way. So what they did, they thought they were fighting for death and glory. They were just gonna go down swinging and they go out and they fight like blazes, man, like crazy animals. They go out and they fight and they fight and they fight. And they break through the enemy lines and they begin pushing them back. And then at the nick of time, Gandalf, sounds like something similar, comes riding over a hill on a white stallion with reinforcements and they rout the enemy. Their victory was accomplished because they had Gandalf the white with them. So it is with us an even greater way. Our hymn says, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Why do we sing and rejoice and gladly push back darkness in the midst of an evil generation? Because our God became man. He entered into human history, this 
veil of tears that we live in, this evil, cursed world, Jesus entered into it, took the curse upon himself, died on the cross as a curse to break the curse for us so that God could save us from our sins and he could send the Holy Spirit to fill us and be with us, as Jesus said in his great commission, even until the end of the age. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. So no matter what evil we have to go through in this dark world, we can be confident in his comforting presence. Listen, God has called us to actively challenge and resist the evil forces in our world. Resistance to the power of sin and evil is a key part of what it means to be a Christian. He has not called us to simply be nice and be at home. If you're just nice and you're at home and you're keeping quiet and you're afraid to speak the truth and you're afraid to point at evil, you're allowing evil to gain speed. We are to be kind, but kindness and niceness are not synonymous. The spirit of niceness gets more upset when someone speaks up about evil in our world than the actual presence of the evil in our world. Justin, why do you point at this? Why do you talk about this? Why do you say these things? Because it's evil and it's gaining speed and I don't want this to affect your children. Family, we are not hoping for and waiting on a nice Jesus to come and return and rescue us from Satan's tyranny. Hear the word of our Lord in Revelation 1. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God. That means the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Who is and who was and who is to come. Who is and who was and who is to come. The almighty. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. What is that? Do you see the, that's intensity, that's passion, that's holiness. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. What does it sound like when Jesus speaks when he comes back again? Niagara Falls. From, in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. That is the word of God. Jesus is the word. From his mouth comes a two-edged sword. His words cut. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When you look at the sun and you see its glory and you can barely look at it, that's what it's going to look like when Christ comes back again. And it's going to be a glorious day for those who are in Christ. And it's going to be a terrible day for those who are not. When I saw him, 
He does the only thing appropriate. John falls at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. What does that mean? Jesus Christ fought the greatest enemies that any of us will ever fight. The enemy who up until Jesus was undefeated and that's death. You know how many, well, almost undefeated. One other guy snuck away with chariots of fire right, in the Old Testament. But death has been our greatest enemy and Jesus Christ let death do its worst to him and he beat death. He put death in his grave. He turned death, who used to be an executioner, into nothing but a gardener. He put, death put Jesus in his grave and Jesus came back to life again. And by going through death and through hell and through grave, Jesus got the keys to death in Hades. He conquered our greatest enemy. Why? 1 John 3, 8 says this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. He didn't just come to save us from our sins. He didn't just come to be a great example for us. He didn't just come to show us what, how much God loves us. Jesus came to defeat Satan. In other words, he came to rid the world of evil. He came to overthrow the devil's plans to steal, kill, and destroy God's good creation. And he accomplished this in his perfect life and his substitutionary death and his subsequent resurrection. This is how Jesus took the keys to death in Hades out of the grip of Satan. And right now, Jesus is sitting on God's throne in the control room of the universe, waiting, here it is, listen, waiting for his victory to be realized by every nation on earth. Now, I love studying World War II, and one of the realities of World War II is Hitler killed himself, the war was, quote unquote, over, and yet the battle kept raging throughout Europe and in the Pacific, right? Why? Why did the battle keep raging? Because they weren't aware that the battle was over. Right? And there were little skirmishes that still needed to be had, had to be quenched and, and fought. So the victory had already happened, and yet there was still fighting going on. That's the world that we live in. Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Christ has paid for all your sin, and yet we still live in contested ter territory that won't be fully consummated, won't be fully made new until Christ comes back again. Jesus is on the throne, orchestrating, pushing out, sending out his word to the four corners of the earth, sending out preachers, calling men in to gospel ministry to declare the gospel, to take it to the nations so that every single nation on earth will come to believe in him. So here we are in the midst, we, we, we are... We, we see Christ has come. Christ has had victory over death, hell, and the grave through his cross, and yet Christ has not come again. And we are to stand, push back the darkness, sing, and believe God's promises that he is going to come again. Evil will be totally and finally defeated by Jesus in the final judgment at his second coming. 
This is why we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We are singing, God, come and obliterate evil. Turn with me to our text this morning, Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. Listen, if you're struggling with sin this morning, sin that you just can't beat, addiction that just keeps on hanging on, a difficult marriage, difficult children, if you're struggling with sickness in your body, if you've been sinned against greatly, right? If you're aware of the darkness, you need to hold on to the hope of the gospel that Christ is coming again. That's what we need. As we fight and push back darkness and we sing songs, we have, to be, we have to be energized by the hope that Christ is coming back again. Verse seven, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. Remember the promise in Genesis chapter three that the seed of the serpent and that the seed of the woman, they're gonna kind of grow up together and they're gonna be an animosity with one another, but there's gonna become one that will crush the head of the serpent. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hell was created for Satan. Hell was created for Satan and his demons, those energized by evil. That's what Satan, that's what hell was for. Remember, Evil doesn't have a substance of its own. It's a corruption of the good. And so hell, in a sense, is the place where God is not. God is love, God is goodness, God is truth, God is beauty. And hell is the absence of all those things. So if you don't want God, that's what you want. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it from his presence, earth, and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. In other words, the glory of Jesus, the glory of God, far, far surpasses that of the sun. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The book of life is the book that contains every single person's name who has ever put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the other books are just a book, a book that has your name and the record of every single thing you've done. And the, the reality is he's not looking at everything you've done to see if the good outweighs the bad. No, no, no. He's looking for sinless perfection. That's what he's looking for. Why? Because he is sinless perfection himself. He is morality to the nth degree. He is the source of all goodness. And so there's only two books. 
One book, the book of life, basically has Jesus' name in the first chapter. Because Jesus lived that morally excellent life. And then anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ gets written in that book by faith. Even though we're not righteous in and of ourselves, Christ's righteousness is counted for us and we get into the book of life through Jesus Christ. And the other book is the book of sinners. That's it. It's going to be a terrifying day when you stand before the Holy One knowing you've sinned against him. Or it's going to be a glorious day standing before the Holy One knowing that I'm only here because the perfect Jesus did everything I needed to do to get me here. And the sea gave up their dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up their dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Oh, this glorious day when there will be no more threat of death. No more evil in the world. Jesus is going to take it and throw it where it belongs into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You don't want God. You don't want righteousness. You don't want a standard outside yourself. You don't want him bothering with your life. Well, if that's the case, this is your destiny. The only place you can go where God isn't is the lake of fire, is hell. Then, oh, the glorious good news, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Here's the idea. Jesus didn't come just to redeem people. He came to redeem and restore all of creation, heaven and earth combined. And so one day he's making all things new. He's making a better heaven. He's making a better earth. He's re not, don't think destroying this one and starting over. Think of what happens when you put gold in a refiner's fire and it comes out more beautiful, more glorious, right? Why? He's putting it in that refiner's fire to shake all the evil out of it, to purify all the darkness, to purify all the death and decay out of it. What will this world be like when there is no, no more the presence of death and decay? Well, this is what it's gonna be like. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Listen, heaven's not heaven because it's got gold streets. Heaven's not heaven because it's, it's beautiful and all this kind of stuff. Heaven is heaven because God is there in an unobstructed way. The distance we feel between God right now, the darkness, we see through a glass dimly and darkly, but that day the veil will be removed from our eyes. Sin will be sucked out of our body and taken away from us and we will see God face to face and we will be more happy than we could possibly imagine. That is what we were built for, the face of God, to be in the presence of God without sin staining, staining it. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. This is what we hope for, church. We go through this life 
Like the, the old liturgy called it the veil of tears. There's a lot of weeping. There is a lot of mourning. There's a lot of difficult things. But there is coming a day when he will wipe away, personally wipe away every tear from our eyes. C.S. Lewis talked about that the pain and the difficulty we go through, through, through in this life will have some kind of supernatural, in some kind of supernatural way when once we get to heaven, we'll work itself backwards and make all of the difficult things that we went through, it will make heaven more enjoyable. It'll make heaven more sweeter when we get there. Every child lost, restored. Oh, what a homecoming that's gonna be. No pain anymore. No cancer, no arthritis, no viruses. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That's the promise of the gospel. Doesn't just restore us, it restores everything. If you put your faith in Christ, he's going to restore you too. The promise of the second coming tells us that Jesus is our victor. He is the victor over sin and death. It tells us that sin and evil are vanquished now. They're vanquished at the cross through his sacrificial love and they will be vanquished forever in the final triumph of Jesus on the last day. How should that affect us now? How should that affect us? We should be able to rejoice in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of the darkness. We should be able to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. If you have never heard the gospel this morning, if you've never heard the gospel, if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, I offer him to you now. You've heard his word preached. We are all sinners. I'm not saying that anybody in here is not a sinner. We are all sinners and we can only be saved through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus by putting our faith in him. If you've never done that this morning, I encourage you to do it now. And if you want to come down and pray for somebody after we do the Lord's Supper, you can do that this morning. That's all it takes. Putting your faith in Christ. See Jesus, believe in him, and obey him. For the Christian this morning, I want us to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. I said it last week, I say it again. Psalm 23 tells us that Jesus will prepare a meal for us in the presence of our enemies. That Jesus is protecting us, his church right now. No matter how dark the world gets, Jesus feeds us with himself through his body and his blood. This morning, I want us to feast at the table of the Lord in joy, knowing that our sin has an expiration date, knowing that the evil in the world has an expiration date. And then I want us to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That God himself might cheer us by his drawing nigh and open wide our heavenly home, as the hymn says. Let me pray for us this morning.
Lord Jesus, we come before your throne. And Lord God, when we get into your presence, when we're near your holiness, we become more aware of the sin and more aware of what is not right within us and what is not right in the world. And we don't wanna be like those who just don't look at it and just try to ignore it. And the answer for everything is just be nice while evil grows outside our gates. Father, first we wanna confess the evil that still lies within and say, come Lord and cleanse us, wash us clean, Drive the evil far from us and help us be your people who can point at the darkness and say that is evil, that is motivated by Satan and can push back against it. And Lord God, help us not to lose hope, not to lose joy, to be able to rejoice in the midst of these things, to sing your songs to you in the midst of the battle. This is one of the way that the joy of the Lord is our strength, that you encourage us, that you strengthen us for the battle. And now we come to your table, Jesus, on the night that you were betrayed, the night that evil tried to take you out. You took the bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body broken for you. Oh, the God who allowed evil to break him. And then you took the cup and you said, this is my blood, the cup of the new covenant. Oh, the God who allowed evil to cut him asunder and he bled for us. You are not far removed from the evil of this world. You knew it, you entered it, you allowed evil to crush you and yet you defeated it in your resurrection. Father of mercies, thank you for this gift of bread, which we confess provides us with the body of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask you to enable us to eat of it in faith and to be made more fully members of his heavenly body through Christ our Lord. Father of mercies, thank you for the gift of this wine, which we confess provides us with the blood of your son, our savior. We ask you to enable us to drink of it in faith and to be conformed more and more to the image of his death through Christ our Lord. Jesus, feed us this morning, we pray in your powerful name. Amen. And amen.